begin with a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning already. God, our hearts are just warm by your spirit and your presence here. Lord, as we have been worshiping you, God, we come to you in, in this continual mode of just honoring you, worshiping you, glorifying you as we seek you in your word. And God, I ask and pray that you would bless your word this morning, that you would have a special message to each one of us today, that our hearts would be open, our ears would be listening, God, what you want to say to us and how you want to change us in, in convicting us of sin, of making us aware of maybe where we're lacking or falling short. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak strongly this morning, that our hearts would be open, our minds be attentive, and that your Holy Spirit would anoint this time right now. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A man was talking to his doctor friend about a problem he was having. He felt like his wife was losing her hearing. But she disagreed, and the issue became more and more heated between them. Well, his doctor friend suggested that he try this simple kind of at-home test. He instructed him, stand behind her, ask her a question from different distances, and see at what point she can hear. So the man goes home, sees his wife in the kitchen facing the stove, cooking, and so he asks from the door, like 25 feet away from her, what's for dinner tonight? No answer. He moves in closer, maybe about 10 feet behind her. He repeats, what's for dinner tonight? Still, no answer. Finally, he stands right behind her and he says, what's for dinner tonight? Well, then his wife turns around and says, for the third time, chicken. Now, it's funny, right, how we can pridefully think that we are the ones who have it together and the other person doesn't, but it's actually the opposite that is true. No wonder we have to be careful because, uh, like D.L. Moody said, be humble or you'll stumble. <laughs> I like that one. You know, God knows how to keep us humble, doesn't he? God will place us in situations to humble us when we get too prideful. Well, today, as we return to the second half of our story in Daniel chapter 4, here God takes King Nebuchadnezzar, who pridefully thinks he has it all together. God greatly humbles him. The title of our message this morning is this, The Humbling of a King. The humbling of a king. We're going to be studying Daniel chapter 4 from verse 19 through 37. We're going to finish this chapter. We're picking up now the second part of this story that we left off from last week in verse 18. So verse 19 through 37 is our study this morning. Now I've broken up our passage, this last section, into three parts. And this is our outline. Number one, the message from God. Number two, the mistake from pride. And number three, the miracle from grace. So here we are, the humbling of a king. That's what we're going to see today. Number one in our outline, the message of God. The message of God. Now, in this first section, we're going to cover verse 19 through 27 for those of you who are taking notes. Let's begin here now. Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. Take a look with me here. It says, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. And we're going to stop right there. So we begin with these two words here in verse 19. Then Daniel. Daniel, whose Babylonian name was Belteshazzar. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But anyway, uh, we come right here in this verse into the middle of the story from what we started last week. Now, if, if you were here, you remember the king had just told Daniel his troubling dream, this dream that bothered him so much. He, the other royal advisors that he called on couldn't interpret it, but the king knew Daniel could. 
So he tells Daniel his dream, and we come into verse 19. And, and in this moment, really, between verse 18 and verse 19, what we saw last time, God gives Daniel the meaning of this dream. But before he gives the interpretation, before he gives the meaning of this dream, it says here, Daniel was dismayed. It stunned him. It alarmed the word we see here written here. It frightened him. It terrified him. Now, it was not so much that he couldn't, you, you know, bring it out and he was in fear of the king. It wasn't that. It was so much that he was stunned that he couldn't speak and there was this, this really awkward silence going on. So the king is like in verse 19, hey, don't hold back in fear. Let it out. Let me know. Daniel responds, hey, look, king, it's hard to tell you this. You know what? I wish this dream was meant for those who hate you, for your enemies, and not you. So right away in verse 19, we see Daniel pauses for a moment, not for fear of the king, but really fear for the king. You see, Daniel was very concerned for what was going to happen to the king. Last time, if you remember, the story started out in this chapter at the beginning where the king was making this official proclamation. I called it like the State of the Union update, right? It went out into the whole empire. And we saw that his words in the beginning of this chapter, they were surprising. He was using words that probably the Babylonians were, were like, what? What? You're talking like you believe in a God of Israel. And that's because he did. This chapter is really about the king's testimony of grace. That was our title last week as we learned and got into this chapter. We see in in this chapter, we see this story about how God worked in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And so the story went on. He's telling his testimony. He's sharing it. And he shared, he tried to get the advisors to interpret. He couldn't. Now Daniel's here. He gave Daniel this dream. And this is all about God working in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, of how God is going to humble him. The humbling of a king. That's our title. And you know what? Daniel, in this moment, he could see it all. The strange and crazy dream. He saw how far God was willing to go to reach the heart of the king. So Daniel was dismayed for a while. He actually had concern for the king. Note this. Take a look how Daniel said, I wish this dream was for those who hate you. And its interpretation, the meaning was meant for your enemies. There we see his heart. There we see Daniel's care and concern for Nebuchadnezzar's soul here. Right? I mean, think about that. Rather than uh, being stunned, the king could have seen a different response on Daniel's face, like maybe a revengeful smile. Daniel could have been thinking, yeah, finally, Nebuchadnezzar's getting what he deserves for destroying Jerusalem, for killing King Zedekiah's sons, for poking his eyes out. For destroying the temple, burning down the temple, and destroying and, get, and taking our nation. He could have thought that. But when Daniel paused, when Daniel was, was stunned here, Daniel paused in great care and concern, seeing that God was about to seriously deal with the sins of the king. So kind of get that feeling here. Kind of get the, see, see Daniel's heart. In this moment, in verse 19. Okay, so with this, Daniel gives the interpretation. Look at verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the earth, whose leaves are beautiful, verse 21, and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. It is you, verse 22, O king. Who have grown and become strong, your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. We'll stop there. So the tree in this dream of Nebuchadnezzar that we saw last week and is being reiterated here in these verses, Daniel gives the interpretation. The meaning is this it's you, God, that tree, it's you, King, it's you, this strong and healthy tree described is this current status of King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And remember, we studied this. Nebuchadnezzar was this powerful king over the Babylonian world empire. He, he was the king of the world as we know it at that time. And as we saw last week, he had conquered this known world. He was the richest of all. He had all his servants. He had it all. He was on top, you could say, on top of the world here. So in this first part of the dream, it was Nebuchadnezzar that he was this tree, that, that his empire fed, took care of, nourished the whole empire. But then in part two of this dream, things change, right? Look at verse 23. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven, Daniel says, remember this watcher is that angel from God, and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it and leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. So Daniel's reiterating this dream. Daniel is, is saying again what we saw last time, what Nebuchadnezzar had told them. So what does this mean? Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King. He's saying, this is the meaning. And let me tell you, King Nebuchadnezzar, it is a decree. It's a declaration. This is a message from the Lord God. Verse 25, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And, verse 26, as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that Heaven rules. We'll stop there. So Daniel gives the meaning, the interpretation of this dream. It's a message from God. And he's saying, look, you know what's going to happen, Nebuchadnezzar? God will chop you down, basically, from being a great king. You'll be driven away from like living with people, but living in the fields like an animal. That's why you'll be wet with dew. Remember back in verse 16, it said also that his mind would go crazy thinking he'll, he's, he's an animal. And that's what the interpretation is saying. You're going to be eating grass like an ox. So this great and powerful king will lose it all, literally, the whole, his, his whole position, and live like a wild animal. And why is that? Why is this going to happen? Well, it's to humble the king. To show, we see here, the Most High rules the kingdom of men. God is the ruler over all rulers. And it is God who is sovereign, giving empires to whoever He will. What's interesting to me, though, is we see the grace of God here. Notice here, in uh, verse 26, it was commanded to leave the stump. And the roots there. And what is that? The stump means the tree is not totally destroyed. Not totally taken away. But after seven periods, which means seven... <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> seven years, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom will be confirmed, Daniel says. That means surely restored to him when he comes to truly realize, you know what? That heaven rules. That God rules. When he comes to that realization, he will be restored. So, all we see is the dream laid out what was to be done for Nebuchadnezzar to learn God is the ultimate ruler over all. So, this is the message from God, our heading here. God is the one who rules over all. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he is on top, that he's the ruler, but God is going to show him that the Lord God, he is the one who rules. In Revelation 19, 16, it says, On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You know what this speaks of in Revelation 19? It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
When he returns during the battle of Armageddon, where the armies of the Antichrist in the world are going to be turning on, on Jesus and trying to wipe out him. But you know what? Jesus comes and from the sword of his mouth, the word of God's going to come out and boom, they'll be all defeated. There was no one higher. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so this message is, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what you're going to learn. So Daniel says this now in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. I love this. Daniel and his care and concern for the king, his care for his soul. Remember, he was alarmed. He was stunned. He was like, Whoa. He said, therefore, King, since all this stuff is going to happen, let my counsel be acceptable. Receive what I'm going to say to you. Listen to what I'm going to be telling you. Daniel really brings this application to all this. And he pleads. He says, listen to me. Break off your sins. Break off meaning discontinue your sins. Practice righteousness like like practice right living here do, do, do you know begin to continually to live right before god and then he says and you break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed what he's saying is be merciful to the poor treat others in a good way and then if you do that daniel's calling out to him reaching him trying to Ask him, hey, if you do that, your repentance may turn God's hand from taking away your position and bring in a lengthening of the blessings. Like, Like his position can go on. Daniel graciously presents Nebuchadnezzar with a choice here. Do you see that? Hey, to repent now. This choice is to repent now so God will not have to take such extreme measures Later, this is also the message from God. It's like, hey, king, you can bow now or you can bow later. Sinclair Ferguson wrote this. Nebuchadnezzar must willingly or painfully learn that ultimate power did not rest in Babylon or in his own hands, but in heaven, in God's hands. I read that and I thought, wow, that's exactly what Daniel's trying to say. Look, you can save yourself from all this in this dream. If you would bow now, acknowledge God now. You can bow now or you know what? You can bow later. You can bow willingly or you can bow painfully. So what we see here is the king is presented with a choice. Willingly bow now in repentance or painfully bow later in humiliation. Say that again. The king is presented with a choice. Willingly bow now in repentance or painfully bow later in humiliation. It's hard to be humbled, yeah. And sometimes it's so shameful and embarrassing. I remember, um, or, or do you remember the actor uh, Tom Selleck of Magnum P.I.? I, I read how once... He told how, he said this, Whenever I get full of myself, I remember that nice couple who approached me in a, with a camera on the street in Honolulu one day. When I struck a pose for them, the man said, No, no, we want you to take a picture of us. <laughs> That's humiliating. <laughs> it's better to not see that everything is about you. So the choice that is presented to Nebuchadnezzar is about that. What happened in the dream doesn't have to happen, Daniel was saying. If you stop making everything about you, repent, acknowledge God, look, it can change. The king is presented with this choice. Willingly bow now in repentance or painfully bow later in humiliation. You guys, you and I were presented with the same choice. Repent now, or you know what? We're going to face some consequences, right? What will you choose today? Did you know God wants to bless you? 
He desires good for you. I was, I was thinking about this this morning in my prayers. I was thinking, God, you're a good God. You're so good to us. You, you do so much for us. I mean, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had it good. Yeah? He thought he was the one. But it was really God who did it. And God, he desires good for you. He really does. He wants to bless you. But if we continue in sin, then there will be consequences. There will be. And I'll tell you, I rather willingly listen and submit now than painfully have to learn later. I mean, I don't know about you. I've experienced the times of I've rebelled. I didn't listen. And oh, it was, it was painful later. And, and now I'm thinking, Lord, Lord, as much as I can, I want to bow now. I want to submit now. I want to listen now willingly. I want to give my life to you now rather than later when there's so much more pain and suffering that, that, that brings me to that point. Bow now or you will bow later. Humble yourself willingly. I, I call out to you guys now. I, I speak to myself too. Humbly, humble yourself willingly now. Or you know what? You will be painfully humbled later. Well, let's go on here. Number two, the mistake from pride. The humbling of a king. So we're seeing here, we've seen the message from God now. And then number two, as we go on in this story, the mistake from pride pride daniel chapter 4 and we're going to cover 28 to 33 here but let's begin here in verse 28 here all this came upon king nebuchadnezzar well just stop there for a moment if you wonder well what did nebuchadnezzar do did he listen to daniel did he follow daniel's advice did he was was did he change no Look at verse 28 again. All this, all what, what the dream said, it came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. It came to pass. What happened? Well, look at verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered or declared, and he said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Now you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar is taking a walk on top of the lanai, on top of his palace, right, his home. He's looking across this grand city of Babylon. Remember Babylon, I mentioned, is, is known for being the city of gold. There was gold all over, gold plating everywhere. Every, remember there was custom tile made by hand on buildings and on the city walls. It, 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 remember that? Maybe from his vantage point, he could look across high and looking, and maybe he could see the famous hanging gardens we talked about, one of the seven wonders of the world. But you can sure see his pride, right? Look at this great Babylon. This is what I've built, right? In my mighty power, my own hands. I did this with my hands. Look how big and grand this city is. All of this, all this is mine, this city. This is my home. And it shines of how, I, how great I am, my glory. You can see his pride, right? You can see his pride forgot about the Lord. His pride forgot about the dream. His pride made him blind to what God has done and gave him, I call it, tunnel vision, right? You only see who? Me. Right? He only saw himself. This is what pride does, you guys. This is the mistake from pride, our heading. The old comedian Milton Burrow once remarked, an, an egoist is someone who is always me deep in conversation. M-E deep. I like that. Me deep. Nebuchadnezzar, that's him. He's me deep in it. He's me deep in of himself. Me deep. Sometimes we can be me deep, huh? There's our new phrase. Hey, you're kind of me deep. You know what? <laughs> no, we'll say it lovingly, though. Let me say it. Well, look what happens. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Can you believe that? A voice comes. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. In other words, this word is for you. 
The kingdom has departed from you. Verse 32, And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Just like the dream, just like it's been said. Now this is like what, maybe the third time or so right in this chapter. Exactly what was predicted. Exactly the message that was given to him earlier. Verse 33, immediately now, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and he ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails are like birds' claws. And what do we see? We see the dream came to pass. God's word came true, just as he said. Nebuchadnezzar never repented. So he lost his position, no more king of the Babylonian Empire. He went crazy, remember we saw that? He went in and lived in the fields outside eating grass. His nails grew long and his hairs, I like this, grew out like eagle's feathers. That's an ancient term for dreadlocks, I think. (laughs) But that's what I picture, right? Oh, this is like wow, right? Nebuchadnezzar, right in the middle of his grand words about himself, the king with everything in that next minute lost it all. His possession, his money, his lifestyle, his sanity. In 1946, there was a case where a 20-year-old man, I believe it was in England, was diagnosed with a psychological disorder, they actually have a name for this, called boantrophy. That is when a person thinks he is a cow or an ox. And this man actually spent his days outside eating grass and weeds. That was Nebuchadnezzar. From living large to living like a large animal, really, outside. His pride was, was brought down in humiliation. Here's the king of the world. Now, insane, acting like this animal. But I want you to note something here this morning. Take note of when. Take note of when this all happened. Look back at verse 29. What does it say? It says at the end of what? 12 months. What that is saying is it had been one year from when Daniel had interpreted a dream, given him the meaning of this dream. It was at this point. Twelve months later now that Nebuchadnezzar crossed that line in time between God's mercy and his judgment. I'm sure it wasn't the first time he said these words. I'm sure, you know, pride was in his heart a long time even before this dream, right? That's why, that, that's why he had this dream. That's why God was bringing this message. You know, the dream and the interpretation, the meaning. It was like a shot across the bow. is a warning to Nebuchadnezzar because he was already in this mode. Maybe it grew more and more because he didn't deal with it. But don't we see mercy here? That this didn't happen, taking away his kingdom and becoming like going out and thinking he was an ox or cow. It didn't happen right after the dream, right after Daniel interpreted. But God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months, one year, a one-year window to repent. But it was that, that time He crossed the line and the window of opportunity closed. I'll tell you what, the mistake from pride is this, is to think that there's lots of time to change. I'm okay right now. He probably thought, okay, I get this dream, but you know, I'm doing fine. I'm okay. Maybe, you know, if I get into some trouble, then, then, then I'll acknowledge God. But I'm going good. Remember, you had everything, right? Eventually, though, God's judgment came. But his delay, God's delay was only because of mercy, right? 
Think about how God waited 400 years before judging the Amorites by bringing Israel into the land and destroying them. 400 years, you guys. Think about how God waited 120 years before bringing a worldwide flood upon the planet. Right? Noah built the ark. That was the message. That was the warning. 120 years. How about when God gave Nineveh Nineveh, 40 days before judgment was to fall upon the city. You know what they did? They repented, right? As soon as Jonah came there after he was in the whale and all that. But here, Nebuchadnezzar didn't turn from his sin. So 12 months later, in God's divine time, his patience ran out. We don't know why 12 months. Why wasn't it 10 months? Why wasn't it 12 days? We, we don't know. It's, it's, it's God. But he gave him 12 months. And then Nebuchadnezzar crossed that line of time. God's mercy ran out and consequences came. Here's what I want you to see, guys. God's word will never fail to come to pass, even if his mercy delays it. God's word will never fail to come to pass, even if his mercy delays it. You know, I was thinking uh, one time our, um, our closet doors, you know, the bifold closet doors we have, um, it, was, it was falling out of its track, yeah. Uh, the pin and the spring that's up there holding it was, was kind of broken and loose, and the, the, the wood was kind of eaten out, and, and uh, it, it, it was falling out of its track, so... Um, it was pretty much shot, but, shot, but I, pretty much, I, I jury-rigged it and, you know, got it to work for a little while. My plan was, yeah, I'm going to go Home Depot, get some new parts, I'll fix this, all that. But I kept putting it off. Every week, you know, I had to finagle it together again, all that. And then one day the old parts fell and the whole door just fell off, you know. And um, um, unfortunately, you know, my wife or the kids weren't there <laughs> when it fell off, right? I don't know why we do that, right? For whatever reason, we seem to not deal with things in a timely manner. Even after we know without a doubt there's a problem, I need to take care of it. I need to focus on this. I need, I need to put, put that in priority. I don't know. Sometimes I'm, maybe I get busy and I think about other things or whatever or, or things crowd that out of my mind. But we do the same with the Lord, even after we know without a doubt and even acknowledge, oh yeah, God is speaking. Yeah, He's speaking. To, oh, He spoke to me in church or when I was reading my Bible in the morning and daily reading. Oh, Lord, you're speaking. But then what happens? You go out in your day and you forget what you read. Or maybe, yeah, you're thinking, but then a few days later, ah, oh, the emotion's gone. And you're, you're like, ah, oh, I'll, I'll deal with it later, right? Why is that? That's Nebuchadnezzar. He knew this was God. God. Daniel had to come interpret it. Daniel was very clear. Hey, you got to repent. This is a message from God to you. But his pride, his pride made him deaf. And that's why we don't listen. And that is Nebuchadnezzar here. We need to keep in mind, you guys, that God will judge undealt sin. Pride will fool you into thinking that, well, maybe it's okay because, you know, nothing happened. Nothing bad has happened yet, so, oh, maybe, maybe I'm okay. And we tend to make excuses. We tend to, like, like, like say, well, well, maybe I could fuss the line here a little more. But watch out. People mistake patience for license. People mistake mercy for permissiveness. But the thing is, God will Bring a time when his patience, his mercy, it runs out and he has to deal with the sin. Ecclesiastes 8.11, this is the NLT, it says, When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. Don't make the mistake from pride thinking, yeah, it's okay. I get him. I got him. No worries. Now is the time to turn from sin. 
Well, let's go on here to number three, the miracle from grace. The miracle from grace. The humbling of a king. This is what we're seeing today. Number one, the message from God, the mistake from pride, and now the miracle from grace. Verse 34, the rest of this chapter, verse, uh, end of this chapter, verse 34 says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, remember, is sharing his testimony here. And my reason, he says, returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will. Among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now it was at the end of the days. What is that? Seven years, you guys. Seven years. Just as God predicted that Nebuchadnezzar really came to a census. He came to the end of himself. He finally gave glory and honor to the Most High God. And then what happened? His sanity returned. He had finally submitted to God. He finally acknowledged Him. And that's why we see this as he says these words here in these two verses, like he said at the beginning. Blessed is the Most High God. Acknowledging the God of Israel as really the Lord God over all. Saying God is to be praised and honored. This God of Israel, the Lord God, He's to be given glory. His dominion is everlasting. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Remember, no longer is it me, my kingdom, I'm the king. No, God is above all that. His dominion, His sovereignty, His kingdom endures forever. And God is king for He does Nebuchadnezzar says here, according to his will. God is sovereign. God is powerful. His will will be done. And no one can question what he has done. Because God is the God who rules over all. And he has all authority. He's a changed man here. Can you see? Nebuchadnezzar finally came, you know what, to the place of full surrender. Full surrender. It took, though, seven years, guys. Seven years for him to crawl around like an animal, to be living outside like he homeless, the dew upon him, eating grass. It took seven years to humble him, to bring him to this place of true brokenness before the Lord. But when he did, he found life. Warren Wiersbe wrote, no person is more free than the believer who surrenders to the sovereign will of God. Not only did his sanity return, but look at verse 36. At the same time, he writes, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. God also, we see here, restored his position. When he talks about his glory, his majesty, splendor, and greatness, it really speaks of his position. He's not being all proud and stuff again. He's just saying, look, I, 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 I was honored again. I was, I was made king over this empire again. You know, some believe that his leaders probably maybe, you know, kept them out of public eye. Or, but I'm sure people found out. And I'm sure they're wondering what's going on. And then now Nebuchadnezzar's gone for seven years. We don't even see him. Maybe there's rumors going around. And then now he's back. This is why he wrote this. This was a testimony to what God had done in his life. So after this miracle restoration, our last verse here, verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. He's the king, not me. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He goes, let me tell you guys, I know he's able to humble. Isn't this amazing? What did he learn? God is God. He alone is the real king of the whole world. And notice this. We see Nebuchadnezzar in his humbleness. 
that when he says, for all his works, in verse 37, are right, and all his ways are just. You know, that made me think about, like, look, look, he, what happened to him? Oh, he lost his mind. He was in the field eating grass seven years. That was his life. He could have complained, God, why do you do this? Why do you do this to me? Blaming God for a situation, right? God, this is not fair. But as Nebuchadnezzar submitted to the king of heaven, he realized, you know, God is right. God is just and fair because I deserve this. This is part of his humbleness. I deserve it because of my sin and my pride. I deserve that. I deserve to be humbled here. And God has humbled me. God had to bring about all these circumstances, you guys, to break his pride. But when Nebuchadnezzar arrived in a place of brokenness and humbleness, isn't this wonderful? God graciously restored him. You guys, this is the miracle from grace, our heading. I was looking at this going, whoa, God, why would you do this? God, this is amazing. Here's a king who did not deserve any of this, right? He destroyed Jerusalem. He came in with his armies. He burned down the temple. He took the implements from inside the holy temple, brought it to and put it before his gods. He's the one who took King Zedekiah. The last thing Zedekiah saw was Nebuchadnezzar killing his sons, and then he poked his eyes out. He wasn't a a great guy. He was a brutal guy. Off with your head. Kill this person. All that. He did not deserve any of this. Plus, God had tried to reach him, right? By, by doing miracles. Chapter 2. He had a, uh, remember his first troubling dream and Daniel had to come give the interpretation and he gave it without even the king giving him what the dream was. Remember in chapter 3, uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He threw him in the fire because they wouldn't worship the big image of him, I believe, right? And what? God saved him. There was the, Jesus was right there. They, they didn't burn. God was giving him a message over and over and then this dream in this chapter... God was giving another message, an interpretation from Daniel, and even a direct warning. Repent now. Turn from your sin. Turn from your pride. And then God gave him one year to change his ways. Yet he never made a full commitment. He kept his heart hard. He kept, uh, he kept his pride. He kept thinking about himself all the time. So you know what? By God's grace, God took some extreme Measures to break his pride and bring Nebuchadnezzar to the end of himself. Seven years, you guys. And even seven years is grace. God could have said, you know what? Three years is enough. Sorry, you're going to just stay that way. I'm going to grab someone else. God could have said that. God could have said six years and 11 months. That's it. But God went all the way to seven years by His grace. This was grace that kept after Him. It was grace that went to the extreme lengths to break Him. It was grace that restored Him back as a king. But hey, a changed king, right? Isn't, 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 this, isn't this the miracle that grace didn't give up? Grace didn't give up. Romans 5.20, right? It says, but where sin abounded, what? Grace abounded much more. Well, we see this, and this is our last point. Grace goes to extreme lengths to break your pride and humble you so you become a changed person. Grace goes to extreme lengths to break your pride and humble you so you become a changed person. You know, John MacArthur shared how he was thrown from a car. This is Pastor John MacArthur, a commentator. He was thrown from a car and hit the pavement, sliding 110 yards on his backside. He said 64 square inches, half inch deep of his skin was gone. He happened to just slide and then he broke no bone, nothing. He stood up and when he stood up after that slide, he said in his heart, God spoke and said, John, I want your life. This is God. MacArthur writes this. God threw me out of a car at 75 miles an hour and slammed me down the pavement, slammed me in the hospital for three months, and broke me. 
And out of pride came humility. And out of humility came repentance. And out of repentance came redemption. This is like Nebuchadnezzar. God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to surrender his whole life. Remember we said last week, not just, oh, yeah, yeah, God, you know, the God of Israel. Adding the God of Israel to his life. Adding the God of Israel to his other gods. God wanted his whole heart, his whole life, but it took God breaking his pride. That's what needed to happen, to break his pride, and it took seven years having him uh, taken off the kingdom and running around like an ox. God breaking his pride, bringing him to the end of himself. So you see, grace went to extreme lengths to break his pride and humble him so he could become a changed person. What is it going to take for you to finally turn to God? How far is God going to have to go to where you finally give your whole life to God? Surrender all. Humble yourself before the King of Kings. What does God have to do? How many years is it going to take till you finally say, Lord, enough is enough. I am going to give everything to you i'm gonna turn from my sin i'm gonna lay down my pride i'm gonna lay down myself and totally give over everything let me make it easier for you god loves you he wants you he wants to forgive you and it's his grace that will take extreme measures to reach you maybe you've been going through some extreme measures maybe there's some extreme things going on in your life you're going i don't get it lord lord i don't know Maybe you've been stubborn against these things and that's why they keep happening. God is trying to bring you to that place of brokenness to the end of yourself. Let's stop fighting. Let's stop fighting God. God loves you so much He goes to great lengths to save us from ourselves. He will do radical things because you know what? We need radical salvation we need a radical rescue he'll go he'll even go as far as offending your pride in order to humble you enough so you know what you can see his love let me close with this story charlotte elliott grew up in a christian home father was a pastor even her siblings were involved in ministry charlotte though she didn't walk in those ways she was highly educated she had passion for music art and writing she was popular in her circle of unsaved friends and in her, her social circles but at age 32 she was disabled from an illness unable to hang out with her unsaved friends but it was during this time that this swedish pastor this minister happened to visit the home for dinner this pastor noticed her struggle inside her uh, she was being rude, short had a short attitude in her manners and everything. And so he gently asked her, led by God, if she had peace with God. You know what? She was taken back. She was offended. What? Why would you ask me that? Why would you go into my personal life like that? Mr. Milan, Pastor Milan, told her that he only wanted to make sure that she was going to heaven. And you know what? I'll be praying for her. That bothered her. That bugged her. That night she couldn't sleep. She was in turmoil. And you know what? In the successive nights, she started to become deeply convicted of her own pride, of where she was, of all that she was going through and all her struggles. And then several weeks later, when she saw Pastor Milan again, she said, I want to be saved. I want to come to Jesus, but I don't know how. He told her, just come as you are. And you know what? That night, she came in all her mess, in all everything, in her humbleness, laying down her pride, she gave her life to Jesus. Years later, she was still going through this disablement, suffering uh, through that. And, 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 and years later, she remembered this experience of being offended by the pastor, but coming to this place of brokenness and an understanding that she could just come before God, even not being perfect. And she wrote one of the most loved hymns of all time, Just As I Am. 
The words go, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And did you know that particular hymn was the same hymn that Billy Graham went forward to receive Christ? Did you know afterwards when God used Billy Graham at his crusades, he would use that hymn to call people to Christ. Here's this Charlotte Elliot who was proud, prideful, yet God humbled her, but she was exalted, you could say. She was humble, but then God exalts the humble, right? She ended up writing many hymns and books and songs for the Lord, but this one hymn God used greatly. It was God in His grace that was bringing her to see her pride and self that needed to be cast down at the foot of the cross. You guys, that's what we got to do. We got to come to Jesus. We got to cast our pride down, cast ourselves down. Because there we, we find forgiveness. We find the chains of pride. They fall to the ground. And finally, we can receive. When we are broken and humble, we can finally see the love of our great and awesome God. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar found as he shares his testimony of grace. In this, the humbling of a king. Let's pray. God, we bow to you right now, Lord. God, we humble ourselves in, in seeing Nebuchadnezzar and what he went through because, God, I see myself in Nebuchadnezzar in many ways. I see myself and my pride against you and not listening to you when you're trying to reach me. But, Lord, I see your grace right now. I see your love, God. I see the love in your eyes, Lord. I see that, that you care for me and you care enough for me to go so far to reach me. Lord, may we all come to this place of brokenness today, a place of surrender, a place where we humble ourselves and, and lay those, all those things down at the foot of the cross where we bring our failures and our sins our anger, our emotions, our fleshly things that have been hindering us for so long, our stubbornness, our stiff neck. Lord, we want to come and bring it to the foot of the cross, Lord, and lay it all down, Lord, to give you our life, Lord. That's what it means, to surrender all, to say, God, take it all, Lord. I've been trying to hold on to it. I've been trying to work. I've been trying to do things. I've been trying to, to, to manage all these things on my own. But I cannot, Lord. I need you. God, we come and lay these things at the foot of the cross and we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse us and wash away our sins, Lord, knowing the debt was paid there. And God, will you break the chains and made they be left there at that foot of the cross, Lord. And may we rise up as changed people, new and transformed, renewed, committed, and now able, free to walk in you, Lord.